Once Upon a Time, Season 5, Episode 20 is over, but we are just getting started here on Once Upon a Recap. Hello, all you magical people out there. My name is Mike Bloom. We're the co-hosts of Once Upon a Recap. Now I'm joined by a guy who just finished cooking a delicious meal with the ambrosia he found in this week's Nature Box. It's Kurt Clark. Kurt, how you doing? Pretty good. Not only is it in my Nature Box, it's in my Blue Apron. It's like ambrosias turning up everywhere this week. Well, you know, I think there are a couple people that really might need that ambrosia, so you better have used it wisely. Yeah, uh, I, I, I wasn't quite sure how to uh, to uh, you know shave it or prune it down or, or whatever. I ended up just cutting the whole tree down and taking it all for myself. I ah, like, you were the culprit then. I, I think that's one mystery solved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bing, that was me. <laughs> so a lot happened on this week's Once Upon a Time, but before we get to that. Uh, Kurt came to me before we recorded with a game in mind. Now, it, it's it's a little tangential to Once Upon a Time, but it is Disney and ABC related. So, Kurt, I'm going to throw it over. Tabulate as you normally do. <laughs> Great. Well, I and some of you may have in the listening audience may have heard this, uh, this. So this game may be easy for you if you're playing along at home. Others, uh, it may be fresh and new for you. But uh, this past week, actually, um, actually, I think it was a week ago, uh, Monday, um, of last week, Disney announced uh, some live action films that they have slated for the upcoming years. Um, and, you know, given that a lot of what we see on Once Upon a Time, it deals with a kind of the live action translations of uh, famous Disney characters. I thought it might be kind of fun to play a little game here with Mike Bloom, where I list a Disney franchise and he has to guess whether or not uh, this is something that is being turned into a live action film or a remake potentially uh, down the road. And no matter what the answer may be right or wrong, the response that will follow will usually be really that. <laughs> and I, and I tried to, and I tried to stay away from the uh, obvious uh, sequels for where there's a little bit less surprising. Um, some of, yeah, some of these are definitely really that and others are uh, like, Oh, interesting. So we'll, we'll see what, what happens here. All right, jump in, Kurt. Give us the first possible franchise being rebooted. So yeah, Disney or Disney, I guess is the <laughs> that's, that's a, an egu or a grave. <laughs> Worst game title ever. So uh, up first, and we and there's 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 nine points up for grabs here. So we'll consider uh, five points a win, and we're we're not putting anything on the line here. Uh, Dumbo. Oh, boy. Why would they do that? I'm going to say uh, Disney. It is not going to be rebooted. And they are doing a Dumbo live action film in the upcoming years. Really? <laughs> that? <laughs> and before Mike, Mike was like, you know, I've heard, I've heard of several. So I, I might uh, I'm like, I'm hoping that these are off your radar, Mike Bloom. And apparently Dumbo is off your radar. Yeah. So I knew to, to fill you in a little bit. So I knew about Beauty and the Beast. I knew about like Cinderella, too. But other than that, nothing else, really. I had no idea that Dumbo was even on the mark here. We'll see how crazy Disney has gotten. Let's move on to question number two. Question number two, a live action film where the main character is Cruella DeVille. Oh, okay. So this will be what, like an X-Men's Origins Wolverine version of 101 Dalmatians? <laughs> it's it's 100 Dalmatians. <laughs> I mean, they made a live action one, what, like 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're willing to reboot it again, again. So I'm going to say Disney. It is not being rebooted. And they are releasing Cruella. <laughs> What? Oh, God. No. Oh, boy. All right. Okay. Let's 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 let this roll on. Okay. Okay. Uh, 
Next up, The Fox and the Hound. Oh, all right. Well, I did love that movie, and that movie is a good, probably like 50, 60, maybe even 70 years old at this point. Todd and... Copper. Copper, that's right. Um, You know what? Why not? Uh, Dizier, they're remaking it. And, nope, I pulled that one out of my butt. But that's that's so old. They they made a Cruel Deville movie like fifteen years ago. Why are you, you are to- you are? I did not think you would be zero and three going into this bloom. I'm I'm thinking the exact opposite logic as the Disney executives at this point, which I don't know if it's a compliment or an insult to me. Yes, and, and to your point, like Cruel is kind of a reboot. They did. I forgot that they had done a live action that. I guess they're they're doing it again. Um, uh, but yeah, so, uh, but no, no Fox in the Hound. Maybe this is something they can think about. Yeah. All right. What's okay. question number four? Question number four, Pinocchio. All right. I feel like that is getting one. So I'm going to say Dizier. And what? <laughs> <laughs> These people make no sense, Kurt. <laughs> I mean, again, they may. And this is this is totally based on the nine uh, titles that were part of this article that I saw. Um, so that's not to say. So before people went right and say, "No, wait, there actually are planning." This was not part of the the thing. But uh, yeah, Pinocchio not on the list. That's so weird because the only live action Pinocchio was the weird like other studio release Pinocchio with I think Jonathan Taylor Thomas voiced Pinocchio or something <laughs> wow, like that. Deep cut in the nineties. All right, okay. let's see if I can improve my record here. <laughs> okay. uh, what's halfway there? What's number five? Number five, yeah. Little Mermaid. Yes. And what? <laughs> it was not part of their list. Why would you not? <laughs> oh God, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have a nervous breakdown before I even recap the episode of this. Right. <laughs> the funny thing is, I almost threw in Beauty and the Beast as a fake. I didn't realize that actually was something that was in the works. But oh yeah, the, that's the, the huge talkings about the casting behind that. It's uh, <laughs> it's Emma Watson and it's uh, what's his name from Downton Abbey? Dan Stevens, I think his name is. The <laughs> it's like i i'm i'm like at the like the five-year mark and you're like at the one-year mark in terms of like where we're our, our sites are set um okay ready for number six let's see if you can make this a clean sweep mike Blue. all right sounds good mary poppins yep i know that one okay yes they are they are because they are going to be remaking mary poppins with lin-manuel miranda playing bert supposedly which makes me very excited and hathaway i'm pretty good on i i like her more than other a lot of other people do these days but it seems you know outside of saving mr banks mary poppins really hasn't been touched mm. for a long time so i can for, understand it forgot about saving mr banks i enjoyed that um next up tinkerbell well she already has her kind of spin-off series uh but to make a live action one that doesn't make sense to me i'm gonna say disney and there's gonna be a tinkerbell centric movie live what? action <laughs> Why? You already have your own animated success story. There's no need to make it live. Uh, all right. And now I'm, I know I know I'm definitely thinking more logically than these executives at this point. All right. Where are we on? Number eight? Yeah, number eight. Bed knobs and broomsticks. I think they are remaking that. It was not on their list. What? The, the, that's not to say again. It could very well be something planned. I just kind of made that up because it's one of my favorites from the uh, from the uh, the archives. Uh, but it was not part of their list, so we this we, you know we can look into it and see if it's possible. So if you are basing that on actual knowledge, Mike, uh, I can't take a point away from you. <laughs> well, I'm, I mean, I guess nothing compares to Angela Lansbury's performance, and they want to keep it that as as immortal as possible. Unlike apparently Glenn Close's performance as Cruella Deville, <laughs> we can re- forget that. Okay, last one. 
You're familiar, of course, with, I believe it was the Eddie Murphy vehicle, the Haunted Mansion. Oh, of course. Which of these Disney attractions oh, oh is God, on- <laughs> let, let we dumbed it down to multiple choice for me for the last one. Which of these Disney attractions is being made into a feature live action film? A, Thunder Mountain. B, Space Mountain. Mm-hmm. C, Jungle Cruise. I feel like it has to be Jungle Cruise. There's some sort of, you know, they're remaking Jumanji, but it's got to have some sort of <laughs> element to it. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with my gut and I'm going to say C. Also starring The Rock, Jungle Cruise. Wow, this guy has a type. <laughs> yeah, Jumanji and Jungle Cruise, I believe, are both starring The Rock. <laughs> maybe it's a shared universe theory. <laughs> maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe the Jungle Cruise is actually an unofficial prequel to uh, the, the the Jumanji remake that's also starring The Rock. But yeah, so yeah, supposedly uh, Jungle Cruise will be going out. I'm guessing Space Mountain didn't get the green light because of the uh, not critically acclaimed Tomorrowland, um, which yeah. I, although I enjoyed it. Um, but uh, yeah, so let's see. You kind of got like one and a half, two, two and a half, right? If we count yeah. bad knobs and right. I'll go. I'll go with that. I think okay. we all lost in a way in that we <laughs> discovered that they were remaking these some of these franchises for no reason. But that was a super fun game. Uh, but I'm I'm willing to let go of my dismal effort uh, in the way that Emma lets go of Hook in the elevator at this point. Okay. Yeah. Let's 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 actually talk about this episode. And thank you guys uh, for for bearing with us. No, that's a that's a lot of fun. It's very rare that we get to bring games in. So the the more stuff we get to do, the merrier. And we do have a lot to talk about here. Uh, I won't get into spoilers about possible things going on for next episode, but we will definitely be addressing that at the end. But let's focus on the episode proper here. Firebird. Um, obviously, a lot of plot happened. You know, we talked for the past couple of weeks about how character stuff was getting more prominence over plot building or getting to this end game of how do we get out of the underworld that definitely flip-flopped this episode but before we really dive into everything i do want to ask you kurt last week you decried hashtag useless emma is this in your opinion the most useful emma has been the entire half season um she helped open the door at the end of the episode, so I'll say yes. That, that's that's the thing, because I think it's interesting that, again, there was a lot of character stuff going on with Emma, but I think just because of the way Hades tricked everyone, she didn't end up actually doing much, and the episode itself was pretty simple. If you're just, like, typing out the plot synopsis, it's, oh, Hades gets true love's kiss, he decides to open up a portal, everyone eventually gets in it. You know, that's pretty much what happens, but there's a lot of stuff that happens in between. Let's be 100% fair, though. We don't have confirmation that Hades tricked everybody. There was a knowing, like, even the glance that he gave back to the town before he jumped in the portal lacked a kind of evil grin that you would have normally expected to kind of be there. It was it was a little bit more blank. Um, and so while all the suspicions are definitely pointing to it, and it could very well end up there, and there's people saying, well, it's obvious. But I'm saying we don't have official confirmation that Hades is behind this, correct? Yeah, I would say so. I think there's just a lot of suspicion going on from the heroes, almost akin to when Regina immediately suspected Zelina was up to no good in the past few episodes when it was really Hades or other people doing things. So, yeah, for all we know, I mean, Hades could really be a change man. And we do, again, see him become a mortal again, get true love's kiss and walk off into Storybrooke, hopefully happy, happily ever after. Because but, because yeah, and, go ahead. And, and jumping ahead a little bit, you know, Talking, if we look at the destruction of the Ambrosia Reservoir, um, 
you know, Emma did have to kind of go through a true love test to get in there. And Hades did say that he couldn't have gotten in there because there was this test that he couldn't pass. It wasn't out of fear. Uh, so unless there was like, we get a flashback and we see that he tricked somebody into doing it or there was somebody who loved, I don't know, but that's something to consider. So before we get yes. into that, we'll start off with the Emma flashbacks. At first, just speaking to the title Firebird, obviously that refers to Operation Firebird, <laughs> which Henry created at the beginning of this story arc saying, okay, this is going to be our mission to get Hook and basically make our way back to the surface. And they said, okay, let's finally work on doing this. Though so it's interesting. I looked it up. A Firebird is actually from like Slavic folklore and it's a magical glowing bird from like a faraway land that functions as both a blessing and a bringer of doom to its captor. And I feel like that definitely represents the, the path of the episode this week in that there's obviously a lot of good that happens, but there's a little bit of a tone of doom to it as hook does kind of get left behind at the end of the day. Yeah. And I kind of always interpret a little bit as almost a, a synonym, a synonymous figure for like a Phoenix or like rising from the ashes and coming back from the dead. Um, and that's how, how I had kind of viewed it, but I actually really like your kind of the, the, the interpretation, the more literal interpretation of, uh, of what a firebird is for kind of how things have gotten really reversed here. Yeah, they definitely didn't drive a car into the portal, so they lost that first meeting. So I, I went for the uh, the more metaphoric one. There you go. <laughs> so I'm going to talk about this flashback stuff first because, Kurt, this <laughs> is the story of Emma's red jacket. So overall, before we dive into the minutia of it all, what did you think about this flashback sequence and the meeting and subsequent death of Cleo Fox, the bounty hunter? It, you know, it's no red hooded sweatshirt. Uh, so, but I, I will go with the red leather jacket. Um, Adam Sandler probably could write a good song about this as well. Um, Lama ding dong. Yeah. Um, you know what? I didn't like it. And this is, I think one of those, uh, I'm trying to remember and, and listeners, you can, uh, you know, feel free to, to do the footwork for us. I, I, I can't remember the last time that once upon a time didn't have, didn't have a uh, flashback in the episode. Uh, of some sort. And, and again, I think it's one of those things where I feel like they just get too reliant. Like, well, we have to put something in here. And this is something where I personally didn't necessarily feel it added anything. It almost felt like even if you look at the whole metaphor of the red leather jacket is her armor and she's finally able to take her armor down with certain people and to not put it back up. It really felt like they were kind of forced to find some bigger to develop a backstory and then to find some bigger meaning in that backstory that could apply to the present day. Um, and it just didn't really land for me personally. So I can understand where you're coming from. I do feel like the metaphor of a jacket as a form of armor is pretty silly. It does scream a little bit like 13 year old fan fiction, but that being said, I actually liked everything else that was going on with the flashback specifically, even though we may think that Emma has a richly painted tapestry of a background, we had never known before how and why she became a bounty hunter. The last time we'd really seen her was, oh yeah, she got sent to jail because Neil might or might not have tipped the cops off. And then she gives birth in jail. She gives, you know, she's pregnant in jail. Then she gives birth to Henry at some point. And then we see her as a bounty hunter in the pilot. And so yeah, I feel like th this was like at least a good opportunity to sort of shade in that area. Yeah. Although there's, there's still a little bit of, I think, connecting the dots that needs to happen for me between, you know, the kind of penultimate scene of the, of the flashback in the alley um, and like her kind of then moving forward and deciding to kind of, you know, to, to become an apprentice. <laughs> so they could sort of like the Cleo's apprentice almost. Um, 
in Boston in 2010. Um, so it's, it's a little bit, it's nice to know that she kind of had a very abbreviated mentor. Um, but it's still, uh, I don't know. It just didn't, it just didn't feel useful to me. And we talk about the, you talk about the kind of the armor metaphor, like it didn't really again land for me when, when Cleo's talking about how, you know, you need to find your armor uh, I was the same for your emotional, whatever, um, to, to shield your emotions. For me, this jacket became my armor. And I didn't really see what that meant. Like, wait, you had to kind of put an armor up around your emotions. So you got a jacket and, and I didn't feel like it was something that translated correctly as a metaphor for me, but, um, well, I, I think part of that problem might be that we don't know Cleo as a character. Right. We barely know anything about her. We see her this episode. We're first introduced to her in Maine in 2009. This is Four Eyes Emma, so we know this is like her in the teenage slash early 20s realm. Um, and she basically, Cleo find, first tries to be friendly with her while Emma's in the phase where now she's searching the Northeast trying to figure out where she possibly could have come from. But Cleo eventually shows that through her intuition, she knows that, hey, Emma skipped a, you know, she's wanted for a bunch of crimes in Phoenix and it reveals that she's a bounty hunter. There's a nice little callback in this first scene as well to the pilot where basically Emma treats that guy, Ryan, that she's having dinner with the same way that Cleo treats her here. It would have been nice if that had been like an upscale seafood restaurant too. Instead of like, like, like instead of the Shanty's Lobster House, if that had been like, uh, Shanty's Lobster uh, Villa. I don't know. Show, <laughs> show Lobster. Yeah, shit, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, so Emma gets taken to the hotel room and uh, Cleo... First of all, I don't think Cleo's a good bounty hunter here. No, she no. does things like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna leave you in the room while I go to shower. Well, even you, when she confronted her at the Lobster House, I was like, you know, it, it, it just seemed like very accusatory and you knew that Emma was going to run and then she almost gets hit by a car when she goes to kind of, uh, you know, she's kind of doing that Terminator march across the street. I, uh, <laughs> match game. <laughs> nice. Um, and yeah, there's just lots of like little things where she seems just a little bit off in terms of like her, her skill set. Definitely. Well, the thing is that we'll find out throughout this flashback sequence that like, Emma will just keep escaping her. Like it'll happen this time. Emma breaks out of the handcuffs and if it wasn't for that picture of the little girl and the tracker app open on her computer, Emma would have been gone. We'll see later on that after Emma has that meltdown that, you know, nothing's in her file at the courthouse. How did she escape Cleo yet again to get into the courthouse to break in? It just feels like for being a, a, a bounty hunter and supposed mentor to Emma, mm. the girl doesn't seem that great at her job. And, and speaking of Emma at this point, you kind of talked about four eyes, Emma. Um, I thought she, she there's point, especially when she's kind of at the computer, there are certain points of this where she seemed to really be channeling Jillian Jacobs from, you know, community and from Netflix's <laughs> love. There was this kind of, uh, kind of, uh, manic enthusiastic vibe, uh, that was permeating how she was acting. I, th- I was getting this real, uh, uh that, that kind of feel from her in terms of like yeah. who she was channeling. Well, she definitely bridled it when she decided to yeah. stay at the computer and was drawn into the app, which tracker um, a little before its time in terms of the app name. But that also sounds like, I don't know, like a dating app for yeah. bounty hunters <laughs> with no E. It's- yeah, exactly. No, no E always seems to imply, except for Flickr, seems to imply some sort of dating app for me. Exactly. <laughs> but Emma is uses this app to kind of convince herself, hey, if my information was easy to find on the web, maybe my information about where I came from is easy to find. Um, so Cleo decides to begrudgingly help her out. 
uh, because Emma sort of blackmails her by saying like, hey, if you don't help me, I can, I'll just run away and you'll never find me again. <laughs> well, this is basically, you know, we're in New England area uh, where, where, you know, Emma was kind of found abandoned. She has to take Emma all the way across the country to Phoenix. And this is going to be like night after night of Emma escaping. But I mean, it, it wasn't, I, I think she had a little bit more something firm to go on there in terms of like basically she discovered through this app through this website that the local courthouse does have a file on her i mean i think and so like it's it's the furthest it's the most information she's ever had the fact that there you know there is a a uh you know a government building that has paperwork on me and i have no idea like why they would have paperwork on me and i have no idea what's in that file so this is something i definitely need to check out so i think she was a little at least she had something concrete that she needed to check out um i think it's after she finds out how thin the file is and decides to go break in that that's maybe a little bit more founded on hope than uh than anything actual factual yeah it was a very <laughs> squishy layer of concrete if you will very <laughs> yes. a very actual crap show on exactly that. She, she comes in and the file is what it's just a picture of her as a baby being found and the article that was in the newspaper and that's it and so you know cleo is even though she was kind of dragged along is trying to support emma she brings up as we talked about before that her coat is her armor and encourages emma to protect herself and then she tells her emma here go to phoenix start over you know let's <laughs> let's just move on from this but emma is not moving on from this though i do like again if we're going to parallels with the pilot here the relationship in this scene between Cleo, uh, Cleo and Emma reminds me a lot between Emma and Henry when Henry's like, oh, no, I mm. want to live with you. Let's run away. And Emma's like, oh, no, you, you, I'm taking you back. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's something I hadn't thought of. I think that's actually a really apt uh, parallel there. Um, yeah, I did feel I did feel a little bit for Emma, I think, at this point where, you know, she goes through, you know, all this trouble and there's, or it's, like, it's the first like concrete lead that she's had other than this newspaper article. The fact that there's this file on her and the fact that the file pretty much only contains that newspaper article, uh, is just had to be so deflating. Um, so it's, you, you do start to feel for her. I, I did like Cleo's kind of, you know, it's Phoenix. It's not that bad. You can actually, after, you know, pay your, your debt to society. It's a good place to get a start. <laughs> like, yeah, it's not hell. No. Which, again, funny little poignant line there, especially, again, when yeah. you put the flashbacks in sequence with everything going on. But Emma's able to slip Cleo once again and breaks into the courthouse, and Cleo figures out what happens and tails her. But the police show up, and so Cleo kind of tries to badass her way out by kicking through the window and just diving through, and we'll find out the ramifications of that kind of shoddy escape plan in a few minutes. Yeah, it. uh I thought that maybe she was in like, you use the coat to kind of put it over the windowsill to like avoid any like jagged pieces of glass that were at least on that, that bottom part of the windowsill. And then maybe Emma was going to take it with her when she jumped through. Cause we all know that at the end of this uh, red leather jacket is going to transfer some way, maybe not the exact same one, but the red leather jacket is going to somehow appear on Emma at some point toward the end of this episode. I thought that was where she was going to get it, but no, they, they kind of take quite a jump. I would have been very reluctant to take that jump. I know. Um, and then kind of start hoofing it to get away from the cops. Yeah. When Cleo landed at first, I thought she seriously hurt herself because she kind of well, made she a noise. Guess and what? She, just like, she did. Oh yeah. Now we are. Now we know that she did and that she not only got a shard of glass in her chest, but landed on that shard of glass, driving it further into herself. But you would think that like that would, you know, steal her behind, but I guess enough adrenaline was running that they were able to get out of there. But I don't know how long they lasted, but they get into a nice uh, conspicuous alley in time for 
Cleo to collapse and reveal the fact that she she is indeed wounded, uh, even though it's merely a flesh wound. She <laughs> is mortally wounded, um, and we get some some hard information out of her before she dies. Though Emma had seen a picture of her uh, of a girl in her wallet beforehand, assumed that it was her daughter, but Cleo reveals that it was a, a girl that she had given up and that she was kind of looking after from afar, mm-hmm. and. that brings a lot of interesting colors to this character that we really don't know anything about her last words to emma are you're holding on too tight let go and she dies and emma decides to run away rather than face the cops right and i think at some point earlier in the episode you know we hear cleo say you know i know more about your situation than you think and i'm like wondering wait is this like another is this another character is this like you know is this is this a parallel from her other like is this another like august uh you know someone in our world um but we find out that no she's just is familiar with the process of having been on the parental side of having to give somebody give give a give a child up when you're not able to raise it and just doesn't Mm -hmm. want you know uh i think part of like she's hoping that her daughter is okay with that fact and she wants emma to be okay with the fact that she had been kind of you know uh uh uh, you know, left by her parents. Yeah, I agree. I mean, considering the way this half season has gone, I wouldn't have been surprised if Cleo ended up in the underworld because let's remember, like, the past two characters that we've really met from Emma's past were Lily and uh, and Ingrid, and they both turned out to be very pivotal roles in the season. Or if you count Merlin as well, when he yeah. was her when he was her movie usher, it seems like <laughs> when we see someone significant interact with Emma as a kid or as a teenager or in the past somehow, they're going to come back in some sort of way. But it seems like for now, Cleo Fox is out of the picture. Yeah, although uh, we we do get uh, kind of one last little kind of. Um, accent on this whole flashback storyline in in boston in 2010 yes so emma is now it seems like she's kind of in a trial period to become a bounty hunter at least that's from what i recall from her phone conversation uh she's sort of in testing mode at right now but her first mission is to track down tasha who was the girl in the picture that cleo was looking at tasha is working at a clothing store and emma just basically talks about how uh she knew her mother way back when uh, and Tasha's pretty heartbroken to know that her mother is no longer alive. Uh, but Emma <laughs> decides to make an impulse purchase of her own armor in the form of a similar looking leather jacket. Okay. Two issues here. First of all, um, I know Tasha Fox. This does not look like Tasha Fox. <laughs> uh, so I don't know who they're trying to, to what they're trying to fool us with here. Um, well, and the mannequins don't look like Joe Anglim. So we know this is not Tasha Fox. There, there we go. Um, and uh, secondly, uh, I was just like waiting for the whole, like the moment she made this decision to reveal to Tasha that she knew her mother. I'm like, this is not going to end well. Why are you doing this? <laughs> I mean, or like, uh, you know, before you like build up all of these hopes and dreams, like I, your, your mother's in this world, blah, blah. And then, oh yeah, I do have to kind of tell her she's dead. Don't I? So I, I didn't really like the approach here. <laughs> no, definitely not. And I mean, you have to be in Tasha's position as well. If someone comes to you and says, oh uh, yeah, I'm, I knew your mother, but she's dead now. I mean, you would want to also find out as much information about her as possible. I'd say good on Emma for providing that file. At least that helps fill in the blanks a little bit in a big question mark in Tasha's life. But still, you kind of are being a little bit of a, of a you know, a, a rod tease, if you will, uh, <laughs> in saying, oh, yeah, uh, I know your mother. Oh, wait, she's dead. She'll never see you again. Yeah, yeah. it could have been handled a little bit better. But to, to, to Tasha's 
uh, credit. She uh, got, you know, she gave Emma, thank you so much. And she was happy to get the information. So maybe it was just too much worry on my part. Yeah. At least, you know, she wasn't uh, yelling at someone for trying to talk to her before any sort of big elimination ceremony or anything. Yeah. Uh, she does. She did. She refrained from the, channeling that portion of Tasha Fox. Exactly. All right. You can go to the bathroom now. <laughs> oh God. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Before we deviate from the flashback a little bit, I know we got these comparisons by a couple of different people. The lost analog to the story of Jack and his tattoos. Now, Kurt, I know you said you weren't a big fan of Emma's flashbacks overall, but how do they compare to Stranger in a Strange Land from Lost Season 3? <laughs> um, honestly, I, I, I've watched Lost once. Uh, like in terms of each episode. So I do not actually remember the story of Jack's tattoo, I think is the, the question of the... Uh, you the, do, you do, you're lucky that you don't remember it. It's definitely... <laughs> I mean, when we did Lost Lives and we ranked every episode, we def, the, the conglomerate of myself, Josh Wiggler, Antonio Mazzaro, and AJ Mass, we put it, I think, in the bottom five, uh, at least. It's, it's not... I mean, uh, if you forget, Bai Ling plays a major role in the flashback. So I think enough is said about how those flashbacks <laughs> definitely missed more than they hit in that episode. Like I it's I didn't I didn't disenjoy is not a word. Um I didn't uh hate the 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 leather jacket flashback. I just kind of found it largely unnecessary. There were still some interesting things uh from the flashback. I mean even at some points in the flashback I was wondering wait is is there a connection to Lily here somehow? Like is this Lily's real no cuz Maleficent's so um I, I didn't hate it as much as I just didn't feel like I needed it. Whereas it sounds like the Jack's tattoo was, was a pretty terrible episode. Well, it was also, it was a moment not to go too much down the lost rabbit hole here, but it was a point in time where like the first half of lost season three really didn't seem like it knew where it was going. It seemed like it was stalling for time. And this is sort of an evidence of that and that there really wasn't anything going on in the main storyline and the flashback was sort of out of nowhere as well. And if we're going back to our analogy of the big canvas of a timeline really just shaded in like, um, you know, some, a shade, a sliver you could find under a microscope in terms of coloring in somebody's character. So enough about that. Let's get back to the to the episode itself and the main storyline itself. Uh, we pick things up where we left them off last episode, specifically Regina telling the rest of the heroes about how she decided to let Zelina get with Hades. Everyone is pretty miffed about it, and things get awkward when Hades himself shows up, but reveals that he needs their help because um, after Golden Pan apparently kidnapped Zelina that last episode, they sent a ransom note to Hades <laughs> telling him to meet them, uh, essentially... To give the to give so he could give them what they want in exchange for getting Zelina back. Yeah, I, I like them. If they are they are now the Stiltskin family. <laughs> I know. I didn't. I didn't even. I haven't even thought about that before. Yeah. That his full name is Rumple Stiltskin. Yeah, uh, and which you know, I guess it, it makes sense because even then he probably would need a, a last name, right? Um, so and uh, Rumple Stiltskin plus some is is a bit much so and he is constantly referred to as rumple apparently that's his first name and it's you know unless hades is just kind of being uh cute um but yeah it's it, it seems like a, a fair trade i mean regina at least initially offers to help him but he's like says no uh emma want emma i need i need you to help me um and she's you know ready to step forward with a hearty why me <laughs> <laughs> yeah but he to sort of you know mitigate that question he makes an offer to her saying hey you know what if you do this i'll uh i'll wipe all your names off the tombstones and you can go home now yeah which which seems fair 
um, you know, fair trade. Um, I'd say so. And he definitely is playing upon her guilt again, because as we know, Kurt, Emma is feeling guilty that everyone else is down there because of her mission. Yeah. And I'm wondering like, if like, yes, technically, you know, she, assuming that the whole, uh, what she has to go through to actually get the, the ambrosia or to get into the ambrosia, uh, uh, layer. (laughs) Um, she's probably one of the most qualified people to do that. Um, uh, and it also does get her out of the way uh, from, you know, if Regina and Emma were together when the blind witch made a move, which we'll get to, that might have been a downfall. So, again, I'm trying to say, like, is that a- another kind of point in the column for, yes, this was Hades plan all along to get Emma and Regina apart so that their magic couldn't be used to counter whatever the blind witch was going to throw at them. So Yeah, but I mean, at, at this point in the plan, though, I think he's just focusing on getting zelina back so i don't think it, it really matters to him if he mm. separates them i think he, he might have just said like hey emma is the best user of light magic that i know she's probably the one that can stand the best chance of taking down mr golden pan yeah true true well, let's talk about this this meeting itself uh pan and gold appear with zelina as they promised um but gold uh hades holds up to his part of his contract and tears up gold's contract uh but pan is not necessarily done yet because he's sort of true to his stiltskin family name says yes we have a deal but i didn't necessarily say you could have all of zelina back because let's remember pan needs a living heart so he can get back to the surface himself but as he's about to grab for her heart uh there's this weird little this weird little dialogue where Zelina says like you can't grab my heart it has an enchantment on it and Pan's like oh yeah that that hasn't stopped me before do you really think that Pan is such a powerful magic user that he could get past that enchantment and grab her heart he definitely goes in for it <laughs> he definitely goes in for he it, gives it, it the, but, he gives it the old college try luckily I guess so I might as might as well try uh, but I I I don't know if Emma wasn't there I don't know if he'd actually be successful in doing it because. I don't know if his magic would overpower the enchantment that had been cast over her heart. Right. But at least it, God bless Emma. She kind of saves us from this awkward on-screen groping that yes, we- <laughs> of, a, of a young man trying to grab a heart from the chest of an older woman. And, and, and yes, um, I, I was actually kind of glad that Emma came in because that would have been a little bit awkward for uh, this is an ABC after dark. So yeah, definitely. Did. We, we didn't get our very special episode about Jimmy cricket in snow White's bosom. We're not going oh, to get that I forgot sort of about special that. episode either. Yeah. I lots for- of, lots of bosom talk to, uh, to book and our time here on the underworld, Kurt. Oh, he was looking for uh, Prince Philip's soul. <laughs> <laughs> and found Lily instead. Yeah, yeah. Lily's father's in there. there uh, but gold, when Emma appears sort of mocks her for saying like, Oh, you're on the other side now. But I, I also like how Emma kind of snips to him. Like, wait, you got what you want. Why are you still here? He's like, Oh yeah. And then he just disappears. <laughs> and, um, to be fair, uh, I just want to point out to bell that, uh, gold did not use dark magic to get Hades to rip up the contract. <laughs> no, I mean, I guess he used, <laughs> blackmail slash kidnapping but he didn't use any form of magic the only magic he used was just to poof in and out yep exactly i mean maybe it's sort of maybe it's like expand expanded to like using bad intentions not just bad magic no well i don't know if i i don't think we've seen that bell really has that distinction i think she she was basically very focused on you can't use your dark magic um so yeah but i i did find the the kind of the gold realization Oh, you're right. Uh, I'm going to leave. And Pan's kind of like, what? 
<laughs> well, and I wonder if you're speaking about Hades, how much he had planned out in this episode. I wonder how much gold had planned out here in terms of I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get a, a heart with the river from of lost souls and, and, you know, leave my father behind. I mean, did he also poof away so that Pan couldn't go after Zelina's heart so he could go forward with his part of the plan later on? Uh, yeah, potentially. Like, I don't know if he really uh, was 100 percent banking on the fact that Hades wouldn't try to pull something. I mean, I personally was surprised that with all this to do about the contract uh, that Hades simply did rip it up. And as far as we know, um, that's legitimately gone. That's no longer something that's binding to uh, to to uh to rumpelstiltskin or and mr slash mr gold i mean unless it's one of those things where yeah i tore it up but that doesn't stop you from having signed uh i did physically tear it up but tearing up a contract uh doesn't you know remove the signature and the bind we have to come to a mutual agreement that it's no longer uh you know a standing commitment i, I i'm surprised there's no like little loophole there well gold has to know you always keep two copies in your office exactly he's not out of the woods yet there's one on a flash drive <laughs> so as the villains or the, the, the Stiltskin f- father and son poof away, Selena is so overtaken by Hades sacrificing the contract for her. She ends up kissing him finally. And we do get the true love's kiss patented wave, meaning that yes, it was indeed. They are in love and Hades heart starts beating apparently. Yeah. And so it seems like now this is an interesting question, Kurt. So in the next scene here, Hades describes how a portal has just opened up in the cemetery and it will stop at sundown. Is this in direct response to Hades getting his heart back or did he create it as a result? I got the impression it was more of the uh, former, that this was linked somehow to him uh, no longer being a a prisoner here. Um, uh, the fact that he's not trapped here anymore, he now has his heart back. Maybe when the the ruler of the underworld is able to uh, is no longer chained there, then a portal will appear for him to. I don't. I'm not sure, but I just kind of assumed it was linked to that kiss. Um, but you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be. I, I don't know if he necessarily. You know, maybe he did create the portal. Like he kind of figured that this is where hoping where this where things would go, um, and kind of just mentally created one the moment that he felt his heart start beating again. Yeah, um, the the thing that I'm stuck on is the whole idea that, oh, the portal will only be open until sundown because it has a lot of like weird restriction on restrictions on it. A, say Hades does get true love's kiss. He gets caught up in errands trying to, you know, tie things up, pass things down to the next ruler, what have you. And the sun sets. Can he just kiss Selena and have the portal open again the next day? And also if it's only for him that, you know, was created on behalf of him, theoretically if he stepped through the portal then it should have closed behind him and that was it yeah maybe he just yeah i'm not sure i'm I'm not entirely sure i think we've we've seen strange rules with portals before the magic hat perhaps being the top of the list um the maybe it's just something where like it'll he could have that's i think that's another interesting thing like if it's something that he had created he could have just closed it behind him either either forcefully like I'm just going to pass through it. I'm going to close it. These guys are screwed. If my plan is for them to be stuck here anyway, like why do I trap them in the library where I can just close the portal and accomplish the same thing? If it's something that was naturally occurring, um, then uh, maybe it isn't necessarily the fact that it was opened for him. It's just maybe the spark of true love's kiss uh, caused it. Um, funny thing, we, only, we don't get this burst of light, this ground zero explosion every time two people who are truly in love kiss each other. 
Yeah, I guess maybe it's because it was so momentous it's for like, them. I mean, I mean when they when when two when True Love's Kiss happens and it breaks a curse, that's when yeah. it happens. So maybe you could call what was happening to Hades a, a form of a dark curse. Yeah, it, it's it's like a, a fuse box getting overloaded and causing a shower of sparks. <laughs> so essentially, yes, this is a this is a form of a blackout. Essentially, yeah. even though it's light magic. Exactly. Yeah. Ironically, <laughs> <laughs> what did you think about the idea of having this portal be in a in a in the form of another clock tower in the cemetery? Um, it was a little strange and I think that it wasn't even like another clock tower. I got the impression it was the same one. It had just kind of transported there. Um, I don't know the significance of this needing to be in the cemetery other than, um, you know, you kind of wanted to maybe have in the same scene, uh, we, you know, uh, witness where the portal is going to appear and at the same point of discussion i must show you that i am wiping your names off the gravestones i think that's the only reason that this kind of had happened like that it's like we kind of need to show these two uh you know show where the portal is going to be uh appearing uh at the same time in the same sort of conversation that hades is confronted about his promise about removing the names and we need to deal with them both at the same time maybe this was like kind of their solution for that the the, the writers I can understand that the clock tower has obviously a lot of significance to storybook. And it's also significant here in that even when the portal closes at the end of the episode, I believe the time goes back to eight fifteen, which is the time that it was stuck on before Emma came to storybook in the first place. But I don't know, just having it be in a clock face makes me feel like it was associated with time travel, which it wasn't. Mm. Maybe I've watched too much back to the future, but that was just the, the first association that I had in my head that I clearly had to rule out because it's just a portal jumping into another world, not necessarily jumping through time. And we, we, We've seen that, you know, at least very, very tangentially, the clock tower is linked to portals in that when people leave the world, uh, having, you know, found their true, uh, finished their unfinished business and they, they leave through either the you know, upstairs or downstairs, uh, then the, that it kind of registers a little tick mark on the clock. So there is like a, a, I guess a very, very peripheral attachment to uh, souls entering and leaving the realm or at least leaving the realm. So maybe that's the connection. I'm surprised that it actually didn't take place at the sorting pit. Yeah, and that was such a big place as well. And that's usually where people ascend or descend. Maybe it's just because you're not going to Mount Olympus or whatever's under the underworld you just go back to where you were maybe it's someplace different i mean the portal that took bell and zelina here a few episodes ago just randomly opened up someplace in the woods it wasn't necessarily at the sorting pit but yeah like you said before maybe it was just to put it in the cemetery to make it make it significant and so hades could be there to say okay i'm gonna hold up to my end of the deal here look here's mr hades magic eraser all your names are off the gravestones. yeah and i and he Again, he's, he seems to be completely sincere and sticking to his word still at this point. Definitely. And he's not the one that brings up the wrinkle here, which is, okay, let's do a take two. Let's have, you know, Emma's heart split so Hook can now have it. But no, there is yet another wrinkle in this plan, uh, hopefully not in her heart as well. As Can you describe what, what, go, what Hayes explains here, Kurt, and how the situation between Hook and Emma differs from what Snow and David did back in season three? I think it's basically a freshness factor. Yeah, essentially, <laughs> right? It's that, you know, David was basically dead for maybe a minute 
And it's interesting. I think last week we brought up uh, when we were talking about like Welsh, could Snow have technically left, even though her and David share a heart, about this distinction between heart and soul. And there is a big distinction here in that even though David didn't have his heart was dead, he is still his soul was still attached to his body because Hook's soul has left him and come down here. He, he can't be accessed or even if he was he'd basically be a zombie up on the surface so Which, am I, they, they, that they could have been interesting solution. that could have been interesting listen and, we had and, enough with one with one episode of zombie daniel back in season two i don't even yeah. want to imagine zombie hook the um and it raises a good question i think we even brought up that conjecture last week in terms of like a difference between hearts and souls and the underworld but like everybody here is physically and bodily uh, here, whereas we're looking at kind of a, a projection of Hook. His his body is still on the surface, um, and so yeah, it's like so interesting. Taken away, but taken away by those paramedics. Yeah, the and, and so it's like, what do we? You know, if Emma is giving her heart to this soul, you know, the body upstairs is still not going to have it. So it's kind of is an is is an interesting conundrum. And the fact that like if it is simply kind of restoring him to life, that's going to be a very interesting ambulance ride. Um, that, that that's going on up there <laughs> absolutely so hades kind of has a solution to this problem but it's something that's only succeeded once before in the story of orpheus and eurydice uh we definitely got our share of greek mythology this episode kurt yeah and they kind of a deeper cut too uh which which was which was i think interesting to see um and, and even at this point, he, I feel like he's like, we go to his, his underground chamber and there's kind of the, uh, the Greek version of once upon a time, the Greek mythology storybook that, that we see the, the story of Orpheus and Eurydice there. And so the fact that this was like really something and he, he seems still to be on the up and up. I, you're going to tell, I'm going to kind of be keeping like an eye on that, that Hades meter and say like, when does this start to like go dip into that question mark realm? Yeah, I mean, it won't really, I feel like, until everyone starts saying, hey, maybe Hades set up all this. Because I agree, right here he does seem very sincere and he's giving them a lot of information. The It's interesting to compare the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice to the way Hades puts it here, which, I mean... We don't even know. He could even be manipulating them here. We don't even know if they succeed in getting out because the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice from Greek mythology was that Orpheus went down to save his true love, Eurydice. He's able to do so, but he's given the contingency of you when you walk to the end of the underworld, you're going to be uh, immersed in a white light. You cannot look behind you at Eurydice, but she will be behind you. And as they walk through, Orpheus can't see or hear her. And so he gets nervous that the gods had tricked him. And so he turns around. It turns out that she was there the whole time. She was just in his shadow. But since he looked, she's down there for all eternity. So not so much a happy ending for them in the, in the myth as they might be on the show. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's, it's, and again, we've seen some liberty taken uh, in the show with like the veracity or the accuracy of Greek mythology. Uh, so we don't know if, you know, is he, are we being given what he truly believes is the is the actual story or is he kind of, you know, shading the facts a little bit. The fact that he's kind of reading from a book um, and we know that uh, that Hook can also read Greek uh, makes me think that, you know, he is being legitimate here in terms of at least what the storybook is saying. The storybook. Well, let's remember Hades knows everyone's past though. He might know that Hook knows Greek and decide to write a fake Greek book for him. 
Oh, that's uh, getting awfully complicated. <laughs> you never know. He could have an awfully complicated plan. This could be the, the biggest villain we've ever dealt with on the show thus far. He could have just said, no, I haven't heard of anything. <laughs> like, like, why make up this whole Orpheus and Eurydice thing as opposed to, um, like, just completely give it, getting them to abandon all hope ye who enter here? <laughs> yeah, he, he could have just said, like, hey... There's a thing you could do because once upon a time usually doesn't function of, oh yeah, this happened once and succeeded. You can do this. Usually the heroes of once upon a time will just kind of take any lead they're given if it, if it contributes to them possibly getting saved. Yeah. <laughs> so I also like this bit of levity that happens throughout the episode of people just removing Emma's heart and her very clearly dealing with the ramifications. Um, it'll be played for much more drama later on, but I think it's here when Hades removes it that she's like, okay, you, you could stop doing that, basically. And I forget like how easily the heart comes in half. I mean, it just, yeah, just kind of twists a little bit. Snaps. Yeah. yeah. It's like a little Pokemon ball. <laughs> exactly. But it, you know, I guess it is the soul the Pokemon then, and that the heart contains the soul a little bit? I guess. <laughs> wow. Souls are Pokemon. You heard it here first, folks. We're getting real uh real metaphysical here on this week's once upon a time podcast uh but emma decides okay i'm gonna go down there i'm it's the only chance we have of of saving hook and accomplishing our mission that we went down here to do in the first place meanwhile gold finds bell and he kisses her but nothing happens uh, assuming i guess you know as he alluded to the previous episode it was he did it his way it wasn't her way so i guess it's not technically true love's kiss uh, but Pan appears and basically says, hey, remember me. I still need a heart. In exchange, I will offer you the only way you can apparently get Belle back to your world, Pandora's box. Kurt, <laughs> without mentioning Jesse Goddard's, when did we last see Pandora's box? Did we see Pandora's box in Once Upon a Time? We did. We saw it during Remind the Neverland me. arc. I can understand oh, why God. you may have forgotten it. Uh, Pandora's box was an object. It was the MacGuffin for like the first half of the season because Gold said, oh, this is, the, this is an object that can basically trap. It, it, it's basically like a proto version of the Sorcerer's Hat in season four and that it can sort of trap someone in there. From the way I think Gold described it, it was that it, was, it can contain like a wealth of dark magic. Um, so there was that whole thing where remember um, Ariel got sent yeah to Storybrooke, and that's why she got caught up with Belle. She eventually gives the, the Pandora's box to Gold, but Pan had the real one and trapped him inside. Then Pan got trapped inside, but it turned out him and Henry had switched bodies. Um, but we got a question about it from Rachel saying, isn't Pandora's box supposed to be a punishment? Why did Rumple put his wife in a torture box? And this brings up a point later when, you know, Gold eventually gets the box. He puts Belle inside of it. But yeah, considering the last time we saw this box, it was, you know, a prison to essentially hold in these people with very, very dark powers. Was this the only way you think that Belle could get across the portal? Um, I, I don't know why she couldn't have just been carried through. I mean, yeah. in, unless like, unless Gold was concerned about being able to, literally carry her through but then you get an arrow lift or something and you can easily get a firebird to bring her through there, there you go um yeah it's it, if i think is like and, and i completely understand now why i blocked out pandora's box because it was from the season that shall not be named um but like i immediately knew when he held it up maybe because it was a box and there was greek writing on it like i just intuitively figured out that this was was pandora's box maybe there's a subconscious part of me that remembered it from season 3a um so uh yeah like 
I mean, technically it's just a container and what you do with it is good or evil, which is kind of interesting given Bell's whole take on magic and like the, the fact that, you know, intention is everything. So like if you just needed to contain somebody and I don't know if it's necessarily was torturing people, it was just kind of a more of a prison. Right. And, and, yeah, you know, and it, was, it was more of like a, con- a containment vessel you know, for someone that has uh, a wealth of magical power because not much can really contain those types yeah. of people. Yeah, I mean, if, if, you know, I would gladly be locked in a jail cell if it meant if the entire police station was being swarmed by zombies, I'm safe in there. And I can be, oh, you know, back? yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, the, uh, so I, I didn't, I didn't really have too much of an issue with, with it. I was actually confused by the, the, the phrasing of it at first when, when pan said, yeah, you know, she's, you know, she can, she'll stay in here, but the price is a heart. I thought that there was something like he was saying that, that, that Pandora, this like, evil spirit or that all of the ills of the world will stay in here. Um, if you, uh, give me a heart, like I was very confused about the phrasing of it. I had to go back and listen to it. It's like, okay, I see it. You're actually literally saying you're going to be able to transport bell in this. Um, and so I, I didn't have too much of an issue with it. I mean, he's a well, dark pa- one. <laughs> I heard Pandora is the shipping name for Peter Pan and Dora the Explorer. Oh, I'm not, I, 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 I don't know how to toss that particular Season six. Yeah. Dora I, the Explorer comes to Storybrook. Oh, I, I, I've got nothing. Well, let's move from nothing into Henry talk. Shall we? <laughs> yeah. So Henry, Henry has something to do this episode. Kurt, he's sort of feeling a little guilty that while they're on their way out, they haven't really saved. They've saved a good handful of people, but not everyone. Uh, but now that Hades is leaving, First of all, we we get some clarifications here. Hades again says that, you know, while I'm leaving, the the underworld will still exist and it can exist leaderless. Essentially, I was there to just sort of control people. But otherwise, when I'm gone, it's just a place where people deal with their own business. But Henry realizes I can help people figure out our own unfinished business. Now, we'll talk about this a little bit when Henry's out in the story square uh, writing down people's unfinished business. But what what did you think about this plot point that Henry is using his powers to sort of just write down what everyone's unfinished business is? Is this sort of author territory or more psychic territory? I thought it was more author territory. Um, I also thought it was none of his damn business, uh, <laughs> to, to be completely honest. Um, I'm like, you know, this is a place where people are supposed to figure out their unfinished business. Um, just because they are having trouble doing so, that's part of the issue. That's something that people have to kind of work through for themselves and figure out what their unfinished business is. He seemed to be uh, like people, uh, most of them don't even know what it is. I can, I can help them. Well, you know what? You're not a licensed therapist. Uh, this, this is, and, and you, you're not really helping them by just kind of, uh, making something up or even directly telling them what it is. It's part of this, one of those things where the journey is, you know, the, is the process is the cure. So I, I actually had major issue with, uh, uh, amongst for several reasons, which we'll get to for, for Henry deciding that this is what he needed to do. And I, I think we also need to clarify here. I mean, if you know what your unfinished business is, that doesn't mean you're automatically going one way or the other, right? It's not an automatic trip to the sorting pit. It's more so that you know what your business is. But for example, when we see, uh, our stealthy cameo, this episode, stealthy's unfinished business was that he had some unresolved feelings with bashful it's not like he can resolve that. He can't yeah. use the soul phone anymore to talk to bashful and, you know, talk things over and say, I'm sorry, bro. And hug it out. And then he can go, he can go to Mount Olympus. He's just sort of stuck there knowing like, Oh yeah, I guess I really can't do anything about it now. 
Yeah, it's which is a little bit different from I think almost all of the other examples we saw about unfinished business. There was something very concrete, which usually had to deal with like if our heroes hadn't come down to the underworld physically, much of this unfinished business that did take place couldn't have happened. Gaston couldn't have confronted uh, gold. James could not have confronted David. Um, so maybe they made it a lot easier. But yeah, that's interesting. Like, you know, we didn't see suddenly these. Like, I don't know if, if, uh, stealthy immediately goes to the sorting pit, if then like, you know, the process kicks in, if that realization uh, is all that is needed to be sorted. Um, so it's, it's, it's a little bit strange. Um, and you know, maybe Henry's selling them a false bill of goods. Maybe this is all snake oil and, you know, you know, stealthy goes to the sorting pit and stands there and nothing happens. <laughs> and it's like, crap, I have to find out what my real unfinished business is. Yeah. Well, it's not like, I mean, I think the equivalent would be, be like, oh, if Hercules found out. Oh yeah, I'm down here because I needed to meet to meet a girl. And then when he says, "Oh, now I have that knowledge. Now I can move on." No, it would be that he actually has to meet the girl and then move on. I feel like there's just a difference between knowing what the business is and actually then acting on it. Yeah. Maybe is this is this foreshadowing the Bashful is going to die? <laughs> I don't even remember seeing cuz I remember obviously Grumpy Leroy is the the big dwarf. Uh, and not, and that wasn't we, a weight joke. Um, but we have, we've seen Doc, we've seen Sneezy. We've I seen feel like Bashful. we've seen Bashful at we've some s- point. He's probably the quieter one. You think? <laughs> well, Dopey, I think, I don't think Dopey talked either in, you know, in line with the way he didn't talk in the movie. Yeah. No, we've, we've definitely seen all seven of the dwarves uh, at one point or another. Um, and some of them just have bigger roles. We've definitely seen Happy and we've seen Sneezy take, I think, uh, slightly larger roles in the, and Doc a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think I think we we've we've seen Bashful. But yeah, it's I again I'm just I just do not co-sign what Henry is choosing to do here. There are no small dwarves, only small storylines. Yes. So Kurt, you remember Robin Hood is on this show? Who? Pur- pur- purple Hood. <laughs> yes, Purple Hood has come in. He takes his hood off since he's inside. Uh, he's obviously very incredulous that Regina <laughs> suddenly says, "Hey, uh, yeah, we're you're gonna have to a give over the baby. B, we're all leaving now with Zelina." He's rightfully confused. I mean, let's let's. He should look- be. He's, he's been out in the woods. He has no idea what's going on. Last, the only thing he knows is that. Uh, James disguised as David almost killed him last episode. This man is extremely confused, rightfully so. Yeah, and yeah, it's I don't know. It's it's he's ready to go. I mean, he's like, okay, we can go. And and I actually kind of agreed here. I had in my notes like, you know, if if the names are off the tombstones, why don't we kind of leave now? Because I think they're kind of in a situation. It's well, you know, either we leave now. Or we wait for Emma to come back and leave. But we are also told by Emma that if she doesn't come back to leave. So the end result is going to just be them leaving. I, and I was just very like surprised that, um, that at least a, a sizable contingent didn't go through the portal or get rid of yeah. basically hang out by the portal and just go. The fact that they're kind of stalling and waiting for Emma to get done with her quest so they can all go together. I didn't necessarily think that was the best idea. Like maybe, you know, maybe from a story perspective, like, yeah, you know, if, if she gets in trouble and there's something she needs help with, we should be here to help her. Okay. That does make sense, but it does end up actually biting them in the butt that several of them decided not to go uh, at their earliest opportunity. 
I completely agree. I wrote the same thing in my notes when Zelina's like, oh, let's just go down to the cemetery and wait to step into the portal. And I said, that's a great idea because knowing these people, if they decide to wait, something bad's going to happen. And it's, it's exactly what happens that they almost missed the portal because of it. But they all decided, no, you know what? Henry has a great idea. Let's just help people while we wait for Emma to finish up her mission. Henry. <laughs> Henry. Every time. Yes. So um, we get a, a tiny scene here where MN Hook's elevator hits the the bottom floor, it seems, the under underbrook. But Henry is doling out unfinished business. We talked about our stealthy cameo. That's fun. Um, but Corella crashes the party very quickly and admits that, well, we, we talked a couple weeks ago about who would want to rule the underworld when Hades leaves, if it's a position that anyone really wants. Turns out Corella does, which is great because I think once she realized that she'll never get her unfinished business, uh, it's, a, it's a position that she'll more than gladly take. But now she has a new partner, Kurt, and it seems like the blind witch has finally found some long-term significance with this storyline. Right. And... I, I thought that, or as we, as we, you know, if Hades is the one that gave her the magic, then it's probably not as long term. I I thought it was actually a little bit more compelling uh, if you look ahead in the future that the blind witch is becomes much more of a compelling villain than simply a a weapon that's being held by Hades. Um, but we will see how that ends up going. But yeah, she basically blasts them all into the library and. There, locks the door. Locks the door. <laughs> Although I think we kind of glossed over. I think before that happens, you know, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about what happens. Unless you were saving this for later, what happens to Hood while he's wandering the stacks of the? Oh yeah, I, I, I'd forgotten that that was at the tail end of yeah. that that big scene. So yeah, Hood is basically he again. He's very discombobulated. Like, he needs what is to, going he, on? <laughs> he he needs to decompress and really compartmentalize all these feelings. But as he walks around the corner, Gold takes this opportunity to poof in and take his heart. And we're to assume that this is the heart that he's going to give pan yes uh which again would probably bring robinson more relevance into the plot that we'll find out it was all a ruse in case the shadow was watching is it bad that my first impression was oh i'm kind of okay with this <laughs> i mean i kind of was too because again you know i i disparaged david before for not having many storylines but i feel like hook is at the bottom of our power rankings in terms of relevancy to the plot at this point although it's like um I'm thinking just a couple things here. Like when we kind of figured out that, like I forgot that the whole point of them coming to the underworld was so that Emma could give half her heart to Hook. So technically, Regina could have given half her heart to Hood if this was actually going to be a huge issue. Um, uh, uh, Especially if it happened like, again, like a split second afterwards. Right. And we also don't know, um, unless we're just judging by Hades being stuck there, we know that... uh, we don't know what happens if a, if a person physically comes to the realm and then loses their heart there, if they are unable to go back, I guess we're just kind of told that that's the case. But at the same time, could gold have given half of his heart to pan if he really wanted him? Did pan need a whole heart? Um, the other thing is, and remind me, um, did, you know, is, is pan potentially facing the same issue that hook is facing in terms of freshness date? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't, yeah, and I, didn't even, I didn't even think about those logistics because he died a long, long time ago, but I don't think he like died, died. I and mean, we yeah. didn't see Pan's body get taken away by the paramedics. I think he died via, uh, via like magical instrument because it was gold that like stabbed the both of them with a sword. Yeah. So I'm not entirely sure. I can't remember if Pan like disappeared as if he like magically dissipated or if he actually 
died like Hook did. But yeah, that that's an interesting question. What the difference might be between why Pan was able to take someone's heart theoretically and go up to the surface, but Hook isn't able to. Right. And I think, and it, the whole hood thing became much less of a problem for me. Like in terms of like, I'm okay with that. Like when I realized, well, if Mary Margaret and, and, and David can each kind of deal with going to and from with half of a heart, then yeah, Regina can give up half of a heart to Robin Hood and we're fine. This isn't really a huge game changer. Yeah, though, again, with all the evil stuff that Regina did, it's going to be a pretty spotty heart. Maybe Robin Hood gets the bad qualities and we get a nega hood. Or she cuts it in half like, uh, you take this half. It's a little better. Yeah, you, you take the rotten half. <laughs> I take the one that looks a little still good, a little yeah. still juicy. Yeah. So Emma and Hook arrive at what seems like their big test. It's just a simple scale with Greek written around it saying only a heart with true love can pass. Um, which is a nice way for them to talk about their relationship because yes, Emma did say she loves him, but they were trying to figure out if it really is true love. Uh, and Hook actually kind of lampshades this by saying, you know, why do we only talk about our feelings when someone's life is on the line? And Emma, this is when Emma brings up her armor and that she is admittedly starting to shed it. Um, and she puts her heart on the scale and nothing happens, but then Emma starts to keel over. Hook reaches for the heart and is engulfed in flames. I immediately, I don't know about you, Kurt, picked up on this is the ch- this is the test, the choice of do you basically sacrifice yourself or do you selfishly, you know, go after your heart and burn the ones that you love? Literally, she goes for the former, and that was the test, and she passes. I actually didn't pick up on that. I, oh, really? No, I, I didn't. Necess- it's beca- I guess it's because um, I didn't get that um hook was actually in danger uh slash that this was something that he could be kind of i I didn't necessarily get that it was a a a choice um and and i guess if it was like made more more clear to me then then i kind of would have would have seen it like i I didn't realize that like if if this was a if this was a playstation game and i would have been like you know hit x to to uh, hit X to, to take the heart hit O to, uh, to knock, you know, to knock uh, hook out of the flames. Then I think I would have like, Oh, this is really the test. But for some reason I didn't contextualize it like that. It wasn't put in video game terms, Mike Bloom. I don't know what to do here. Shadow of the hook losses. I, I would, I would not have. Yes, exactly. I would not, I would not have uh, uh, gotten this achievement or unlocked this trophy. <laughs> No, I guess I guess I came into it with more of an open mind, especially when Hades said like, yeah, I don't really know. But when you get down there, you'll be faced with some sort of test to determine whether or not your heart is worthy to go through. And so I could definitely see like, oh, yeah, the these these Greeks are tricky and they're going to make a, a test on top of a test. Yeah, those they, they, it's probably the, there's not an oracle there to ask them a question or something like that. And I was like, OK, yeah, no Sphinx asking a riddle. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so Emma and Hook find the ambrosia tree or at least what's left of it uh the giving tree is now reached the end of its life i guess it's just a stump uh, even though it's, it's an interesting like brassy stone circle yeah i you know and i think it would have been if if we were meant to definitively know that hades was up to no good here it would have been interesting to like have like this the, the skeletons or the bodies of Eurydice and Orpheus be in this room. I think that could have been an interesting uh, twist, maybe a little bit dark, um, but this is just a thought that I had had. 
or the skeletons could have come to life, and that would be a Jason and the Argonauts reference. Oh, with, like, really, really bad animation, which would never well, happen. Well, I mean, this is Once Upon a Time. If they did the Scarecrow, who knows? They really opened Pandora's box on that one. Oh, dear. <laughs> but, so, this is, but this is the, when they see the ambrosia tree basically cut down and they, that's like oh you know what hades can't trust him he doesn't want us coming back with him well specifically hook and hook has kind of been wary of hades ever since the beginning of the episode when regina says oh yeah i send zelina to to get to be with him hook says like oh i don't trust him when they're at the cemetery again hook says oh i don't i don't i don't you know, really trust this portal thing that you're talking about and you wiping your names off the gravestones. And now again, Hook is jumping to conclusions. Like you said at the very beginning of this podcast, we don't 100% know that Hades was the one behind all this to make sure that only him and Zelina got through. Um, the other heroes are also ruminating on this idea as well. But let's talk about the scene that might tip that meter you said a little bit in the other direction in that Zelina is worried about her sister. They're standing around the cemetery, but Hades tries to comfort her and says, hey, you know what? They're heroes. They'll get here, especially without me in the way. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Zelina finally relents, and the three of them walk through the portal. But Hades just does give one last look behind him, and that could be construed in a myriad of different ways. Kurt, tell me what you're thinking right now in terms of how this scene falls into the big theory that Hades may or may not have manipulated events so that the heroes could not have gone through the portal. I, I will quote from my notes at this specific point in time. At this point, I'm still not certain it was Hades. <laughs> and and it, I think this holds true. I mean, we spent what, like five episodes, both of us saying, well, maybe he's sincere. Maybe he's not sincere. And I feel like it's in true fashion for us to not make a decision one way or the other. Yeah, cause, cause, you know, there's no gun to my head. Um, it's, you kind of said wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I think I just wasn't getting enough of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge there. It was, I mean, the fact that Re- that Regina and and Emma both jumped to the same conclusion at the same time, so close to each other, it just seems almost like we're, again, it, it is a little bit meta. It is from a storytelling perspective. I'm looking at this. It's like, it's almost too neat and too clean that that's the, the case and that that's what's going on. Um, and, and you think like if he didn't want them to go through the portal, then he wouldn't have gone through and left it open. He would have waited to like the absolute last moment, kind of stayed there um, and provided some sort of barrier to them. Like if they, if, if it's, if they do start to approach, you know, then unleash all hell, uh, you know, have Zelina go through and say, you know what, I'll stay back and make sure they come through. Although Zelina wouldn't have probably bought that. So I'm just going to, I'm just not, although I think it's likely that he is behind it. I am reserving the small fraction of, of judgment that, you know, we, we, it just hasn't been spelled out yet. We haven't seen the dead body yet. So we don't know they're dead. So we're like one of those situations. Uh, so I'm, uh, I, yeah, well, and we'll, we might talk about that and possibly other meanings of that next week from what you just <laughs> oh, said. Okay, yeah, sure. um, yeah. But I, I mean, in speaking towards that, I do think, yeah, there is enough, uh, enough of a of an ellipsis at the end of of this scene to kind of say, well, yeah, there's a chance that Hades might have done. He, Hades been up to no good and is has been manipulating everyone all along just so he could get through the storybook. But at the same time, maybe it was just bad luck. Maybe the Blind Witch and Corella were acting on their own. Maybe Orpheus and Eurydice decided to cut down the tree after them so that no other people had to go through these sort of trials. We don't know. Um, but I will say that them going through the portal was something I was kind of cheering for just because again, 
for spending so many episodes with nobody, you know, not since basically Ruby and Belle and Zelina fell through the portal. Have we seen anyone go in and out of the underworld other than getting thrown in the river of lost souls? I was happy for at least some sort of progress one way or the other. Yeah. We, I think we, we pretty much called how soon it was before uh hook would be rescued, but we've spent a lot more time in the underworld than we thought we would. Yeah, though we didn't meet, I mean, I know the finale is two hours and it's technically two separate episodes, but we did technically get our, you know, two two weeks before the finale yeah. is when we escape the main setting and the other two, the other two slash three episodes are going to be in a completely different place. Yeah. So uh, we have a little interstitial here in between all, all of our action where Gold brings the heart to Pan and Pan is, he's ready to do it. He's ready to go. Let me go now. But Gold tells him, timing is everything, Papa. And so Pan decides to wait and that will obviously come to fruition later on. But for now, we have quite the emotional scene, Kurt, as uh, with Hades leaving, uh, the underworld seems to be shaking a little violently. Again, not entirely sure why, considering that the, uh, he was just a position he held in the underworld. It was not directly connected to him. But as they get to the elevator after, you know, unfortunately leaving the place where the ambrosia was, Hook decides, I'm not going to go up. This is where I leave you. Now, Kurt, what did you think about the emotional weight of this scene? Were, were, did, it, did it hit you at all? No. Um, <laughs> I, I had a feeling, but I just wanted, <laughs> I didn't want to assume. <laughs> and, and, and maybe I'm, be- why didn't he go? Because you never know what's going to happen between there and the portal. And just one scene ago, the reason like we have to get up to the surface and Hook even said, you know, you know, Hades could be putting your whole family in danger. We have to leave now. If he truly believed that he would want to go up and help Emma deal with whatever Hades is throwing at the family. I saw no reason for him to stay in the underworld. Like this whole thing could have taken place as Emma's debating whether or not to go through the portal. It didn't have to take place in the elevator. Hook didn't need to stay underground. I, this scene really perturbed me. I do agree that I don't understand the logistics of him saying, okay, I'm going to stop right here at the elevator. I'm going to leave you. I know he did kind of throw away the line of, I, I want to say goodbye to you down here instead of saying goodbye to you in front of everyone up there. And I can understand the intimacy issue uh, considering that everyone is related to you at this point. But I, 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 I don't understand, you know, why I, like you said, why he says, all right, well, I'm here. Let me stay here in this uh, the subterranean underground chamber. That's even <laughs> under the place where I'm supposed to be. That being said, I do. It's like the underworld uh, of the underworld. <laughs> yeah, it's it's under underworld. Yes. Um, I do understand the emotions behind it, though, and I mean that this scene was emotional to me at least because, I mean, it does poke upon something that even Hook brings up. He tells Emma, you know, you should have let me go in Camelot. Don't make that mistake again. And we realize that Emma does really have a problem, even after. She did kind of let Hook go by letting him essentially sacrifice himself and take on all the Dark One's power. Even though she tried to let him go there, she still didn't let him go because she says, oh no, we're going to go down to the underworld and find him. And so this is Hook really telling her, you have to let me go. Go ahead. It's only a relevant conversation at the point where you have to say goodbye. And when there's so much of a, uh, uh, of the S hitting the F, uh, you know, up the elevator where obviously they were fooled by Hades. They think the family's in danger. Something's going on. Let's get to the bottom of this. We need all hands on deck, even though hook only has one hand, it's still a useful one. It's, it, it just seemed like 
I, I agree that this is a relevant conversation for that point when you do need to say goodbye. But this is not a point where you need to say goodbye. This is a point where you need to get up that elevator, find out what's going on, and help your family. And I just well, really, I really did not agree with Hook's selfish decision to stay at the bottom. Well, maybe Hook felt that the more I go up there, the more I stay with her, the more distracted she's going to be, and the more of a possibility that she's going to screw her and her family. If I make a clean break now when she goes up in that elevator, all she's going to think about is just surging forward and getting through that portal. Maybe that's why he decides to sort of segregate himself down there. But I, I do agree with you. I think right conversation, wrong place. But I completely disagree. I think what's going to be distracting her more is if she realized she just left Hook at the bottom of the elevator, whereas if he doesn't even bring up the conversation and he just kind of let's plow ahead like she's full storm let's go up the elevator let's help let's figure out what's going on she would not even be thinking about the whole hook can't do anything if anything he's like put her in a worse mental position by like having her like stay behind i mean i thought she wasn't get her arm decapitated well, i guess you can't decapitate an arm well yeah, that, yeah. there's that there's that whole last <laughs> shot of yeah of her reaching through the elevator <laughs> as careful yeah, i definitely had the same thought of like emma put your hand back in yeah, put, put your hand back in you don't want to hook as well <laughs> exactly yeah she almost hooked herself and it's like this completely. Yeah, uh, I just, I just, I, I would have been all probably all aboard this conversation if it had taken place in the cemetery next to the portal. It did not have to take place in the under underworld. Yeah, I. So let's remove the location from the circumstances completely. I mean, I think there are then some very, very poignant things. Then it was very, very touching. I love the fact that he told her not to put her armor back on and that yeah. she reminded him not to let her be his, un, not to let her be his unfinished business. So I did, yeah. I did, I did like that, Mike Bloom. And I think it was, I think it was, I think it was a great character moments between the two. And again, I loved how they, they, they went back to the well with Emma of you just have a problem letting go in general. The, and the, the fact- same well that the, uh, the pages from the storybook were thrown in. <laughs> yes exactly though <laughs> they all funnel back into the same river of discussion at this point nope. <laughs> but i i think that you know they both made very salient points and i i mean i have no idea if emma's going to hold up to if either one of them are going to hold up to their ends of the bargain here but i you know it was as much of a nice clean break as possible and we if we talk about things relating back to the flashback i mean this is essentially what cleo told emma to always make sure that you you know, don't hold on to things too tightly. You need to let things go when the time is right. And she's really forced to right here. Yeah. And uh, just do it upstairs. <laughs> hey, family show. Okay. True. True. Sorry. Do it in the crypt. If anything, there you go. That's what, that's what Robin Hood taught us. That's his one contribution to the show. Exactly. So Emma, even though she's very shaken, does come up to the elevator and her and Regina do help you know, break through the doors and they, they're both on, they're all in the mindset of, okay, Hades is going down. He obviously wanted to get through the portal and leave us behind. Let's get there ASAP. But meanwhile, we have some father and son material to work out here with pan and gold. Gold decides, okay, dad, you've waited enough time to put the heart inside you, but it's a twist. <laughs> gold reveals that while pan was basically distracted uh, he returned Robin's heart and instead it gave him essentially a water balloon, but the water balloon is filled with water from the river of lost souls. Yeah. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there are some interesting things going on in this. I love gold telling his father villains don't get happy endings proper, which is a throwback to the thing that he said when he killed his father back when we were talking before about the, the middle of season three. Um, and it is a, an interesting bit of closure to the two of them. I don't know. I, I personally wish we had gotten more pan. I know Robbie K's schedule might've been a little off. Um, and I don't know how much they were, they would have been able to tie him into the other stuff that was going on in this half season. But I feel like again, for 
who is, in my opinion, the best villain this the series has had so far, to only have two, maybe three episodes of him was was very underutilized. Yeah, it was. I was a little bit surprised to see this happen, but uh, it was. I mean, it was a an interesting uh, exit for him. But I'm a, I'm a little. I'm not, I'm not. I should say I'm not disappointed in how the show handled it. I am um, uh, disappointed that we will not see more of him. But I yeah. but I understand. Yeah, we're not going to see any more of him forever, it seems like, because I don't think, oh, yeah. especially now that Hades left, we didn't see any shot of everyone coming out of the River of Lost Souls that had been thrown in there before. We're to assume that he's supposed to, he's going to be in there forever. And it seems like quite a party is building there. Yeah, yeah, it's getting crowded. We need, we need like a la Jury House footage on Big Brother. We need a <laughs> River of Lost Souls footage. Exactly. I do have a question about this scene, though. I mean, if this was Gold's plan all along, why did he choose to wait so long until the last minute to do so? Theoretically, if he essentially killed his father by doing this, he could just as very easily do it the first time Pan asked and then not need to worry about it. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that it's the dramatic effect. I'm not sure. <laughs> I guess make his father worry a little while longer and, you know, go put him through some more mental torture. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's um, and maybe maybe like maybe there was like a discussion between him and Hood that we did not see. Yeah, very true. Though, and I also thought it was interesting his logic of like, oh yeah, well I knew you were distracted. Yeah, I I did it. Uh, so I'm not entirely sure. You can take a break now, dude. Sorry about this. No, no problem. So let's talk about the final scene of this episode. The heroes are able to all rush the portal, of course just in time because this is a TV show after all. But Emma decides to monologue a little bit with David holding on. She talks about how I bought this coat to function as armor to protect me from hurting those that I love. But this armor is actually a reminder for me to protect those that I love. I don't know. She admits, I don't know if I did the best for hook, but I can't lose anyone else. So she decides at the very last second to jump into the portal. Kurt, were you at all worried that Emma's, profuse talking about how she didn't know if she did the right thing for hook would lead to her getting left behind in the underworld uh oh first of all the soliloquize is that a, a match for a monologue i'm just yeah, curious i guess so is, I mean, is that close enough it, Ding. It, this was very hamlet-esque this was very to be or not to be of once upon a time um yeah no i'm like get in there get in there i, th- I think we i think we both probably knew that um it was <laughs> as funny as it would have been for the portal to like close on her like partway through her diet like her her speech um I think we both knew that uh, she was going to finish it and get through just as it closed mm-hmm. to hook or not to hook. That is the question. Yeah. Well, I, apparently, apparently not to no, apparently <laughs> not to hook at least, at least for now. Um, yeah. I just, sort of, I think it would have been in a dark comedy sense uh, if it ended up closing behind her and she was stuck there though. At least she'd be with hook though. Hook would probably be pretty furious with her for, you know, him saying go and then her saying, okay, wait, never mind. But it seems like everyone is, on the other side, except for Hook, and they are ready to apparently face down Hades, who, whether we know it or not, might or might not have plans to have his own takeover of Storybrooke and or the world. Any more thoughts about this episode, Kurt, before we jump into some questions and theories? No, let's jump in. Okay, so our own Once Upon a Recap fact checker asks, seriously, why can't Henry just write Hook back to life? Now, we know kind of tracking this author storyline that Henry at first was told you can't write someone back to life, but then he found the supercharged pen in the sorcerer's mansion. And now I think he has the power to do so. So the question is, Kurt, why has Henry not had that idea yet to write the right hook back to life? And this actually connect to a question separate from this that I have. 
Well, I, I think it's, it's again, it's, he's sticking to the rules of the author and I think he's, he's not altering reality. I think he's, he, he's able to, um, tell stories that are untold, but he can't change what has happened. I think by writing Cruella back to life, writing hook back to life, that would violate the code of the, of the author. Um, but, uh, you know, writing a, uh, in kind of in that white space that we've talked about in the past in terms of the flashbacks, writing in the white space for, um, uh, something that is a potential truth for stealthy uh, does potentially work. It's not necessarily altering uh, what uh, it's not altering something, uh, making something that was false into something true or, or whatever. It's actually kind of filling in some of that blank space for a possibility. So I think that's kind of the way that I think of it. <laughs> so connected to this in terms of Henry and the book, Henry makes a point to leave his book along with the unfinished business pages behind in the library while they went to the portal. Do you think that's going to have any sort of significance, especially with Hook down there, assumingly trying to pursue his own plot to sort of get Hades back down here? Do you think Hook might go after the storybook or somebody like Cruella might get her hands on it and use it for evil purposes? Oh, uh, you know, the, potentially I, I don't, I, cause I'm not, I didn't necessarily get a big, um, dramatic moment. And like, like I didn't, I didn't see him leaving the book there as this end point that made sense to cap off a story. Like, ah, the perfect ending. He left the book there. It seems to be a little bit more of a Chekhov's book as to what does this potentially mean versus it's uh, simply I believe Chekhov be, wrote plays. Oh, okay. Well, maybe it's a playbook. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I saw it potentially as I see, I see it potentially having a little bit more impact than simply being the conclusion. Like, I don't see why he had to leave it there for their, for them to be able to finish their stories. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm so. not sure. I, I just know like, again, with the possibly the possible shot of Hades looking back, whether malevolently or innocently before he goes through the portal, there was a similar, a similar, just sort of a languishing close up on the book when Henry leaves it. So maybe it was just sort of to frame the scene or whether it actually meant, Oh, this book is going to come into some use. I thought it was of some prominence. Yeah. Very, at the very least it's, it's potentially there if the writers, not the author, but if the writers need to use it again in some way, Definitely. because we know, because we also know, I mean, this was the underworld equivalent of the book. There is the, still the overworld equivalent of the book. So it just also yeah. made sense for it to be left here. Plus so. there's, there's a whole mansion filled with blank books, remember? So I think Henry could have given that copy away, even if it was the overworld version. Yeah, true. So Nathan Bayless asks a couple of questions. First, he says, do you think that there is any chance that Pandora's box brought back someone else besides Belle back to Storybrooke, perhaps a next season villain? So as I talked about before, the, when we saw Pandora's box before, it was meant to contain someone with great evil and great dark magic. Do you think that it was down there, obviously, in the pawn shop? Do you think that someone else might be in there and that gold accidentally brought over the biggest bad we've ever seen into Storybrooke as a result? Um, I don't feel that that's the direction they're going. Um, I'm trying to think of this from the perspective of the evil being trapped in Pandora's box is the moment that gold opened it up to put bell in. You'd think we would have seen someone try to sneak out um, <laughs> or someone say like, ow, <laughs> exactly. It's cra- Stay on your side of the room. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like a Brady bunch episode. Um, but uh, so I, we didn't really, so we didn't really see anything that indicated that flip side though, both you and I were commenting earlier that, 
like why was Pandora's box a necessity? It seemed to kind of be an extraneous thing thrown in there. It's almost like Chekhov's box instead of Pandora's box. Um, so you know, as much as I said that it's probably not likely, it does seem very strange that this was offered up as a solution to a problem we didn't know we had. Like, I think all of the listeners would have just been, okay, so we're going to all go through now and, you know, you know, David's going to carry Bell through. I think we would have all been perfectly happy with that. But for some reason, Pandora's box was Mick brought into this, uh, into this whole uh, formula. So, you know what? I'm almost talking myself into the fact that it may not hold a bad person, but it may have some significance in the, either the last three, uh, the three official episodes or leading into the next season. Yeah. I have my own theory here that I'll throw out there. I think they're putting Hades in the box. Oh, that, you know what? That makes perfect sense. It gives the, it gives the box a purpose, um, without, uh, it necessarily being like introducing another character. Yeah, I think it's a good way to just say, like, okay, Hades can't necessarily open up a portal for himself. How do we get him out of the way? Oh, let's just put him in the box. I feel like they're, like you said, I yeah. think there's a reason why that box got brought up again rather than them just carrying Bell through. And I think this is a good reason why. I like that theory. So another uh, question that we have from Nathan Bayless here, which sort of relates to the underworld as a whole. He says, now that we have seemingly left the underworld, are you, like me, a little disappointed by how much time we spent on some of the dead characters down there, such as Pan, Corella, and Korra? I feel like it was a bit of a wasted opportunity and would have rather have spent more time with them and less with the likes of Ruby and Belle slash Gaston storylines who are still alive and who we can get back to next season. So, Kurt, let's leave the underworld behind us. Um, and we could definitely talk more at the end of the season about our thoughts about this half season overall. But now that we're officially, with the exception of Hook, out of the underworld, what are your thoughts about it? And specifically, how they concentrated certain storylines over the course of the past 10 episodes? I actually didn't mind the amount of time that we spent with those those characters. Um, I thought it was kind of like a nice nod to and uh, some of the, the characters that we haven't seen in a while. Um I do, I, but I do think we spent maybe a little bit more time in the underworld than we needed to. Um, I thought it was an interesting setting, uh, unlike Neverland. Uh, um, so I, it, it's, I, I, I think I'm more surprised that we spent as much time in the underworld as we did rather than disappointed we spent as much time in the underworld as we did. Yeah, I, I would agree. I wouldn't say I was necessarily saddened by it because I think that the times when we didn't have a plot development might have been frustrating but at the same time at least we got interesting character stuff out of it i mean i think even though nathan kind of decried the bell and gaston stuff i thought that was actually a nice development in bell's character and their her relationship with gold i thought the episode last week with selena and regina wrote a lot of new stuff into their relationship even though again nothing happened so i'm all for having no plot move on as long as we get some sort of character moving on and we got a good amount of that more than we definitely did in neverland in my opinion yeah i agree so to finish up our theory brooks session uh rachel or becca sorry becca wrote us uh, a big theory so i'm going to try to read it off here we know that somehow they're going to get rid of hades historically with the exception of zelina the villains don't stick around as main characters beyond their half season arc the only way we know of on the show that they can bring someone back to life is by trading the life for a life thing, i.e. Neil and Rumple from the latter half of season three. So I think that somehow the demise of Hades is linked to Hook coming back because we all know he's not going to be gone long. So she brings up a couple different points in here. 
Kurt, A, do you think Hook is going to be coming back sooner rather than later? B, do you think it's going to be involved with Hook going up and Hades going down? Um, yes and yes. I, I, th- I think we're going to, I think especially now with, with what you were saying about, uh, about Pandora's box, um, I, I, I have a feeling that we are going to see that happen on, on both counts. We, I, I, think we, I think that by the end of season five, Hook will be in Storybrooke, and I believe Hades will be back in uh, the underworld. Um, the it'll be interesting to see if there is any uh, Greek god intervention. Like, could Zeus just like, uh, no, you're being a jerk again, and then put him back in the underworld? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> which, the, the, which would the, be a true Deus Ex Machina in terms of <laughs> solutions to this season. But yeah, I could imagine uh, Zeus being like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? I let this scout out way out of hand." All right, little brother, go back down to where I sent you. All right, let me get this guy back. This weird looking hook handed guy. All right, we're all good, hunky dory. Okay, don't ever talk to me again. Bye. Yeah. So I, I can see I can see all of that happening. I think I, I I would be surprised if Hades is still a villainous threat by the end of this season. And it seems like the easiest way is to uh, it seems like he's going because he is a god. It seems like, you know, the only place he was maybe able to be imprisoned was the underworld. And that may happen again. So uh, there is. Uh, as possible spoiler or at, least, or at least speculation for the next episode that was shown in the previews at the very end of this week's episode. So for those of you that, that don't like to watch the next time on and don't want to possibly expose yourself to any spe- possible speculation, uh, this is where we leave you. Uh, we're stopping at our elevator point here while you go up. So I'll give our usual spiel right here. Um, as always, if you have feedback, leave us a comment on the page. While you're here, subscribe to posterrecaps.com slash once itunes follow us on twitter kurt is at kurt clark i am at mike bloom type check out all the other great stuff going on on post show recaps as well kurt do you want to give a hashtag at this point for anyone who's going to hop out right here sure um it was easy it was memorable how about we go with uh, four eyes emma perfect all right so hashtag four eyes emma uh so this is the point for those of you that don't want to be possibly talk about speculation for next episode. Uh, We will see you next week to talk about episode 21. Take care. Okay. They're gone. Kurt, let's (laughs) wait. wait, No, someone, uh, someone's at the door. Let's Okay. Okay, uh, they're gone. All right. Great. great. All right, Kurt, let's talk about next week. This is pretty juicy information. And we usually don't dedicate an entire segment to talking about next week, but the, the producers pretty much told us in that next time on that a character is going to die next episode. Yep, and we saw clippings of a funeral, and 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I I'd actually talked a little bit. I forget when, maybe at the end of this first part of the season, about how I had a hunch that a main character was going to die at some point this season. Because I mean, we've we've added a good amount to the cast. We've obviously lost a good amount to the cast at the end of every half season, but we haven't really shed anyone since Neil, and it's been a couple of years. So I know people tend to complain nowadays about oh you killed this character or you thought you killed this character but you didn't we arguably might get that with hook a little bit but i think the the writers are actually taking a, a big leap here and actually killing someone off just without going into predictions at first kurt what are your thoughts about this idea in general um i don't i i i don't know um i don't necessarily feel that it is necessary to do 
Um, like if, if there's a story reason to do it, or if there's a, um, like even, even I'd say only if, only if there's a story based reason to do it, if somebody like, uh, is out of contract and is like just leaving the show. I don't necessarily think that death is the best way. Just maybe kind of have the fade into the background a little bit like Ruby did. Um, <laughs> or everyone else in story. Or, or yeah. Or everybody else. Uh, like, like, you know, uh, six dwarves. <laughs> um, so it's, I, I, I don't necessarily think that a, uh, the, 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 removal of a character via a, a death is necessarily the way to go. I, I may disagree here uh, just because I feel like the ensemble, while all very good performers are a little oversaturated. I mean, we we just talked about how we didn't really like certain people's storylines because they were basically non-existent or they didn't really contribute to the plot. And I feel like a solution for the writers might be let's pare things down a little bit to make sure that everyone has a good amount of relevancy and we don't have to cover for multiple characters, including the ones that we introduce. And let's also remember that again, the last big death was Neil and that had a pretty significant effect on the rest of the series. I mean, gold had lost his son and had lost one of her lovers to the point of where he still talked about to this day. I feel like depending on who the character is, this is going to be a game changer for this series. Uh, true, true. So, it's done on other podcasts here on post-show recaps, but we never get to do it here on Once Upon a Time. So I figured, Kurt, this would be the perfect opportunity to do our own Once Upon a Time episode 21 death draft. Yeah. And, and how do we want to do this? How many, how many, how many, I mean, I mean, we're, I'm assuming that we are drafting people that we think are going to potentially be the victim in the next episode. Uh, how many people do we want to draft? I'd say, person? I'd, I'd say let's do two. Um, Just do two. Know, okay. And okay. I, cause I know that I know Rob and Josh at least used to do like two major characters and one minor character. I don't think a minor character is dying. I'm going to be as bold to say that. I think it's going to be one of the credited actors that appear in the main credits, basically every episode just to have that big of an effect. Okay. Um, and, and my proposal is that we do a modified, a stake snake draft where one person picks one, the other person then picks two and the, the first person picks one. Yes. A modified, and, uh, Agrabah Viper draft. Exactly. And, and I do think that because you completely blew the quiz, I should get first pick. <laughs> All right. Yes, that's, that all is fair, Kurt, as the one that administrated that extremely hard and confusing and depressing quiz. You get you get the first pick of our and death I, draft. And, and knowing that a death draft was coming, I actually meant to have that. And I, I thought about this earlier today. I meant to have that be what was put on the line. Uh, but I didn't want to tip our hat that, to the death draft or so early in the episode or early in the podcast. I, I mean, um, I, I was going to I was going to abdicate first pick to you in the first place. So oh, OK, okay. You, you go. You go ahead. Okay. Um, so my pick, and I'm going to have an explanation for this. Emma. What? Because I don't think a character is dying. I think this, because it isn't happening in the season finale. I think this is her getting back to the underworld to save hook. Okay. I could see that. And I'll admit that one of my picks kind of relates to that in some sort of way. I, I don't know, because I thought from the shots that we saw, I thought I saw Emma in the crowd. So unless it's a body double, I, I would, you would think that if she did that, she'd be the one in the coffin. I only saw one person in the crowd because my DVR cut off the coming attractions early. So if that's the uh, case, then I'm operating on just uh, just imper- uh, un- un- 
un- incomplete information. Um, so if so, that's the case, then let, let's go with your theory, though. I mean, did what do you think Emma would possibly get new information that would lead her to get? Because again, when her and, her, her and Hook said goodbye, he basically says, "Okay, don't come back for me." And what's yeah. she gonna do? Come back for him? I think she's gonna. I think there's gonna be a confrontation with Hades. I think she's gonna find out the real way that she could have brought him back, uh, but it's gonna require her death, and that she's going to go do that. Uh, again, right. if she's if she's in the crowd, then this theory is screwed. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and 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 your whole Pandora's box thing. I think that she's going to potentially have to, you know, she's going to be bringing him down there. Um, although, yeah. So that that's it's right. that that's that's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. All right, so I guess I get the next two picks here in the uh, Agrippa Viper draft. First one is not going to be as surprising as Kurt's pick of Emma. I'm going to go with a surefire route. I'm going to go with Robin Hood, uh, who Kurt even forgot was on the show earlier on in this podcast. I mean, I know the next time on alludes to the fact that it seems like Regina and Robin specifically are going to try to uh, are going to try to get in contact with Hades, and I can find I can assume that's not going to go well. I also think in terms of Zelina's storyline, that could be interesting in that mm-hmm. you know this this sort of complicates the relationship between her and Regina if her boyfriend essentially kills Regina's boyfriend. Um, and I feel like he has contributed the least to the story at this point, and I feel like he would get the the least amount of bloods on the writer's hands if he got killed at this point. Okay. My, my second pick is still on the table. So let's see if you take my second pick, which I think you might. <laughs> so my second pick, I might go in a little bit of an uncouth direction as you did, Kurt. My second pick here is, is hook. Okay. And that I think the, but he's already dead. Well, I think the funeral <laughs> might be a red herring in that oh. they're attending the, they're, they finally decided to bury hook's body and <laughs> that this was Emma's, actually, Emma, Emma finally said goodbye you know. <laughs> and decided to have a funeral for him. That's actually, I actually, that's, that's well done. Well played, Mike Bloom. I think that's actually like really because there needs to be a funeral for his body. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this is the perfect way, again, to symbolically represent her letting go and saying, okay, I'm f- officially saying goodbye to you now. You're, we're going to put your body into the earth. Yeah, no, that, that, I like that. I like that. I, I, I almost wish I'd chosen that over, over Emma. Um, and, uh, and, and, and listeners, if, if Emma was in the credits, don't, please do not tweet me and let me know. Cause I want to be like, at least go into this next episode thinking I have a chance if this is the right thing. Um, well, we still have a chance, Kurt. You have a second pick. I'm almost wishing you'd picked my second pick because now I'm torn between two picks. Um, I am torn for my final pick between Zelina mm. and Mary Margaret. Ooh. Okay. Uh, I think I saw I saw one person and I'm not going to say who uh, in case other people didn't see it. If, if if there are listeners who are kind of at that mid-level of spoiler, like I, spoiler range where they want it, where they're aware and wa- are OK with knowing there's a funeral, but they don't want to know who's definitely, you know, in the crowd. Um, I, I think I might go with again, maybe she's in the crowd. I think I might go with Zelina. Um, only because it seems a little strange to have like two reformed evil witch sisters who are now both good. I, I can see a nice cap on the Zelina storyline is her realizing that what Hades actually did and sacrificing herself uh, to save her sister is a nice end to her story arc. Um, I, 
the I have a couple of counterpoints. Like I, it, it seemed like a big funeral. I didn't know if that necessarily that many people would turn out for Selena's funeral. <laughs> I don't uh, even know her. <laughs> yeah, he's like, uh, but uh. um, but um, it, it seems like it might be more of a draw if Mary Margaret were to pass away. Uh, um, uh, but yeah, so I'm going to go with Zelina because I think it makes a it it's if she feels betrayed by Hades, maybe that cancels the whole true love. Th- I, I don't know if, if it was like done under duress. So I'm, I'm going to go with Zelina. Final uh, answer. Okay. Yeah, I would. I would. Are, are you sure? <laughs> oh, oh God, no. If you had picked yourself, I would have asked, are you sure? Yeah, um, yeah I, I'd agree with that choice of Zelina as well. I feel like that could be a perfect capper to her storyline. It also contributes to the fact that Regina just con- gets continually pooped upon by the writers at this point in that she finally made up with her sister. And just when she thought things were going well, her sister then dies. So it, it, I feel like if either Robin or Zelina dies, that would definitely satiate that theory that the everyone just hates regina so much yeah should we do a can we do like a safe pick for who it definitely isn't because my pick will be king arthur <laughs> <laughs> if he's still on the show yeah no it's and 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 it, as it is a lot of people out there probably had the same reaction as mike bloom did like what to my emma pick put it from the perspective of you know, if you did see her in the crowd, that you didn't see her in the crowd, and that it and that it is all a ruse, or it is all part of a plan to um, uh, uh, go to get her back into the underworld. Or, I mean, the counter side to that is like they wouldn't have to go through a very expensive funeral in order to do that. She could just be like, "I'll be back," and like you know, be laid out on a table in the mayor's office, like you know, many people have done before. I'm sure. Perfect. Um, well, we're bookending this with Terminator references. <laughs> there, exactly. There you go. So just to review, uh, Kurt has picked Emma and Zelina to die next episode. I have picked Robin and Hook in a way, and that Hook will be the one buried. So we shall see next week yeah. who will come out victorious. <laughs> it, it, and you know what? And just because of the nature of it, it could very well be neither of us. Yeah. Um, oh, definitely. I mean, both it, of us could be wrong. And I do have to say, I did see a, as much as I try to avoid casting spoilers, I did see news of two characters who had confirmed that they had both signed up for season six. And so my, my picks avoided those two. All right. Well, uh, considering how, uh, promo free you are usually i feel like you were you were allowed to take that one sheet day to look at that yeah as i almost and i almost didn't watch and it's weird it's like the one thing i usually will do is is i will watch the the previews but that that's about it yeah so if you guys have any thoughts as to who you think um, might be the one that was going to be kicking the bucket next episode again definitely let us know we plugged every way to contact us beforehand we always love to hear from you guys especially as usual your thoughts and theories about what we talked about this episode thoughts about the next episode the next couple of episodes kurt we are getting down to it uh it's, all, it's only two one week until the once upon a time finale as amc announcers would say but next week is the real the only the last uh one hour episode of once upon a time it seems yeah. And what do you think about having a, uh, a second hashtag for people who actually listened to part two of our podcast? All right. Would you have any thoughts? Under Underworld. Under Underworld. Okay. Yeah. I like it. Back in the days when we used to do like half podcasts, for, <laughs> hashtags for halfway through the podcast. <laughs> Some of them were just too good to like have to wait till the end. Perfect. All right. So hashtag four eyed Emma and also hashtag Under Underworld. Yeah. 
Perfect. All right. So thank you guys so much for listening to this supersized podcast filled with games, discussions, death drafts, Terminator references. We had a really fun time. Hope you guys did too. We'll be back next week to talk about episode 21 of Once Upon a Time. Until then, if you're making a profile pick for Finder, you better wear your best leather jacket. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>